church arise and put your armor on. Here's a call of Christ our captain. For now that we can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, Good morning and welcome to Whitneyville Bible Church. My name is Cameron DeCoo, and I'm here to give you some announcements and our call to worship today. Uh, if you are visiting, we have a Let's Connect card. It should be in the back of the seat in front of you. Um, you can put in your uh, contact information, let us know that you are here. Um, if you're a regular attender, you can also use that for prayer requests or for uh, ministry opportunities that you would like to express interest in. And also, if you are a first-time visitor, we do have a lovely little gift bag at the kiosk in the lobby after the service. You can pick up one of those. Uh, by way of announcements, the Men's Prayer Fellowship is planning on meeting uh, here at the church to pray um, on July 22nd uh, from 6 to 7 a.m. So that's on Saturday, July 22nd. Also, you probably noticed when you walked in, a little setup uh, on the side of the door there, the missions trip that's coming up to Manitoulin Island. 
Um, the team is holding a craft and bake sale for a fundraiser, and that will actually be on uh, Sunday, July 23rd. Before and after the service, you'll be able to uh, pick up baked goods, craft items, uh, to help with the financial needs for uh, that missions trip. Also, the tech crew has requested some help. So that's um, all things audio-visual and then also um, the, the live stream. It's not very difficult to learn, um, and the more people we have involved, the fewer uh, times that it actually needs to be covered by one person. So if we have one to two people who'd be willing to step in and learn how to click some buttons, it's pretty easy, um, <laughs> then the training's provided. You'd be on a rotation once a month. Um, be a great opportunity to be involved in serving the, the very real needs that we have to make Sunday mornings happen. Um, so you can talk to um, the deacons or any of the current tech crew um, if you'd like to do that. Also, um, the last announcement that I have is the uh, WBC Community Cookout. Um, the men's ministry is hosting this, but it is for everyone. Can I interject on that? Connor would like to interject. I would like to interject on that right quick. So, the cookout, as you all know, is coming up, and we're all super, super excited about it, but as you mentioned, we need some volunteers. I know we haven't been super specific on what we're planning yet, but here's the big news. We're going to have a huge scavenger hunt. We're going to be doing games. Uh, we're going to do kickball, volleyball, water balloon toss. Uh, we need cooks. Um, so, we also need people to set up and tear down. So, if you all could volunteer and just sign up on the sign-up sheet out in the kiosk, um, whatever you feel comfortable doing, we're going to sign you. So uh, you can put your name down and we'll figure out where you're actually going to be set up. But we do need some volunteers for cooking, for setting up and tearing down the tables and tents that we're going to be doing, and then also volunteers to man some of our games that we're going to be doing. So sign up, and we're looking forward to having you. Thank you. Yes, very good. It's going to be a great opportunity to reach out to the community. Um, that's the whole goal. So take some flyers, hand them out to people at work, people in the neighborhood, invite them to come and just have a good time uh, mingling with us and having good food and playing some fun games. That's all I have for announcements. Um, although I guess we have a, we have two offerings today, right? That's one time. Yes. Oh, okay. So we have just a the other last announcement would be we we're, we're doing a benevolence offering with the. That'll be later. So the benevolence offering is later. Okay. Just be aware that there is going to be another offering with the Lord's Supper. Our call to worship today is Psalm 110, verse one. Psalm 110, verse 1. If you're using the Bible that's uh, in front of you, that's on page 535. A psalm of David. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in various circumstances, various states of mind and spirit, but we come to you, our Lord, the Almighty One, Lord Jesus. We praise you for your wonderful work that you have done, for your blessed person that you are. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us with 
your presence and your power. Unite all of us in our purpose here. Fill us with love and joy and peace, even patience where necessary. Help us to be kind and gentle. Help us to be self-controlled. Help us to be gracious. Establish us in our faith. Unite our hearts here in this place, Lord. We bring our prayers to you, God, because you have told us to do so. You are eager to reveal your will to us. And so we come to you lifting up these requests, trusting that you will show us what we don't know, make us what we need to be, and empower us to do what you reveal to us. Specifically, Lord, we want to lift up uh, Dave Bender. We want to give you an offering of praise and thanks for the positive news from uh, the medical professionals for the ongoing treatments that you will have. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of medicine and knowledge that you work through. We give you glory and praise for the good news, and we entrust Dave and Dory and the whole family to your care through this process, and we continue to lift them up and partner with them. We also want to pray uh, for Diane Lucher's husband, David. Um, sometimes, Lord, the reports from the medical teams are not favorable, and that's the case in David's life. We ask that you would bolster Diane with faith, confidence in you, trust in your goodness, and we, of course, Lord, also ask for healing and strength for David. Give wisdom to the doctors who are there, and again, Lord, we ask for healing, knowing that you are the great physician. Also, Lord, we want to lift up our deacons here, Dave Bender, Tom Carpenter, Tom Stouchestyke, and Aaron Rademacher in their capacities working with our elders faithfully to oversee the facility needs and the, uh, the, very, the very dispensation of the benevolence gifts that we're going to be giving today, Lord. We can confidently do these things because we have such faithful men who are trustworthy and looking to honor you and to provide encouragement to our people here. Thank you for them. We also want to lift up Lance Schrader in his capacities as chaplain with the United States Air Force at Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama. We want to lift them up especially for the challenge of serving you in the capacity of military service. We pray for Chaplain Schrader and his wife, Carla, for the various challenges that they face with ministering to military families. Lord, we also want to lift up Alpha Grand Rapids. We love the work that they do, Lord. The many services that they provide to men and women with unplanned pregnancies. Lord, we don't have to wonder what your desire is for the unborn. And these people are faithfully carrying out love for neighbor, even the ones that are in the womb. 
We ask that you would bless them in their ministry efforts and help us to provide support in whatever way we can for this wonderful service that they provide. And Lord, for our uh, WBC family of the week, we want to lift up Betty. We are so thankful for her presence here and for the wonderful blessing of her spirit and her attitude. Help us to love on her, to share your care with her. And Lord, we commit the rest of our time to you. We ask that you take our offerings that we give as acts of worship and trust. Expand them for the influence of your kingdom. Help us to give with glad hearts. We commit our time to you, Lord, for these requests, this service, and our lives. May it be according to your good, pleasing, and perfect will, Father. We pray in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Shall all pass.
Well, amen. Will you please stand as we sing about that day when we're all going to be in heaven? We're going to fly away and join him in the clouds. Let's praise and worship this morning.
The praise of your glory 
Thank Adriel and the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. What a great joy and privilege it is to worship the Lord Jesus together this morning. I hope you're encouraged and strengthened as you gathered for worship today. I have been. I just uh, What a blessing. I just want to thank. Would you express your thanks and appreciation to the worship team today? Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to dismiss the boys and girls in just a second, but before we do that, I just want to mention we have a number of periodicals out here in the, uh, outside, by the, outside the worship center here, just to your left, by the, by the kiosk, but to the left on the wall. Uh, and for the boys and girls, the summer edition, the July, August, September issues of Keys for Kids and Unlocked are available. So I just want to make sure you guys know that, grab them. Uh, get them off the wall. They don't do any good over there. And if you know kids who could use them, uh, young children who can use keys for kids or the teens that can use Unlock, go ahead and get those into their hands. Also, we have the June, July, and August copies, if you haven't seen it already, of Our Daily Bread, both the large print edition and the regular edition of that. Those are available for you out there. And then the most recent edition of Voice, this is the a magazine that we have from our own association of churches, the IFCA. It's an excellent magazine. I encourage you to clean those out too. They're really excellent, excellent uh, magazines. And uh, Dr. Richard Vargas, our executive director of the IFCA, serves as the uh, editor for the magazine, and he's doing a great job with that. A uh, very challenging topic in this issue, overcoming the idols of comfort and ease. So it's an excellent theme and many articles on that theme. So I want to encourage you to, to get those. All right, boys and girls, boo, you're off to the races, actually to Bible Blast. And uh, for the rest of you, just want to draw your attention, those of you here in the worship center and those watching via live stream, just again, a word of welcome to you all. But I'd like to draw your attention to the screen and ask you to make a note of the names that you're going to see up here on the screen. We have a team of people who are going to Manitoulin Island to work alongside an organization called the Daystar Native Outreach. And this team is going to do the work of evangelism and discipleship and encouragement to our brothers and sisters there and to share the gospel with families uh, in some uh, very, very important ways and situations. So we're going to be reaching out to the Ojibwe Nation, that community there. We're going to be working with a local church fellowship and Daystar Native Outreach, the Wiki Fellowship. We'll explain more about what Wiki means. It's not, well, never mind. Wiki Fellowship. <laughs> and this is the team that we have. Dave, excuse me, Dave. Sorry, Dylan. Dylan and Rachel Bender. And then their girls, Ella, Ellie, and Lydia, are all coming. And you might go, oh my goodness, children that young are going on a mission trip. Yes, they are. And a strategic part of our ministry is going to be to families. So it's really uh, the Daystar Native Outreach has kind of adjusted and readjusted, I might say, our original plans to incorporate our coming as family groups to minister to family groups. So that's a very, very special thing. Cameron and Alicia and Anastasia are going Janie Gorham is going to go, uh, Ashley Holland and Nicholas Picard, Barb Simons, and yours truly. We are the team that's going to be going together. So I'd encourage you to be in prayer for us. Uh, we're laying plans now for the trip. We need uh, your prayers as we go. 
the first Sunday of August, we're going to ask uh, our missions team to pray over this group that's going on the mission trip and uh, asking you to join us in prayer and preparation for that. And the bake sale that's going to be next week, Craft and Bake Sale next week, is helping us raise the funds that we need to go on the trip. We're trying to raise right around $6,500. That's for everybody for the whole trip. Covers everything we're going to be doing, travel costs, food. We're actually taking care of our own food while we're on the trip. Uh, some ministry resources and equipment and things for the families that we're going to be ministering to. So just please uh, be in prayer for those, those things and support the ministry as you can. And then uh, as you, uh, we begin today with the message, I'd like to ask you to take your Bible and turn to uh, several passages of Scripture we're going to read from today as we continue our study that we've called Creed. You'd better believe it. That's our summer sermon series. So today we're going to begin our reading today. As I mentioned, we're going to be reading in several, several passages. Begin in Luke chapter 24, and I want to begin at verse 45. This is God's Word. Then He, the Lord Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And then, if you'd turn over to Acts chapter 1, I'd like to read God's Word from verse 4 down to verse 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, While he was with them, again, speaking of the Lord Jesus, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Which, he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then one other passage, if you would, please, over into the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Would you please pray with me? So, our dear Heavenly Father, we are going to explore uh, an unusual 
a topic for most of us today, something that I expect and suspect most of us don't think about a whole lot. But Lord, would you encourage us? Would you not only increase our knowledge, but would you increase our faith? Would you increase our obedience to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King? Would it be so in our lives, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning for a few moments, and we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed once again, as we've been doing a number of times throughout this series. This affirms the basic tenets and truths that we believe as Christians. Let's read together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. So this summer, our sermon series we're continuing with today is a basic exposition of the critical doctrines that we believe as Christians. The series is called Creed, because we are reviewing the various statements found in what has come to be known as the Apostles' Creed. Creed simply means a statement of beliefs. It's an affirmation of things that we believe. So in this series, we are considering what we essentially and critically believe as Christians and why we believe it. So once again, let me ask you, as we've been doing, reminding ourselves through this series, do you know what you believe? Do you really know what you believe as a Christian, and, you do, and do you know why you believe? I hope you all do. And by God's grace, this series is helping us to bring all of that, all that we believe and why we believe it, into focus more. So today, let's take a look at this next statement of the Apostles' Creed, you remember that the heart, the largest part of the Creed, centers on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We opened up the series with a look at God the Father, and now we've been spending the last several weeks looking at uh, the person of Jesus Christ. So today is actually the fifth of six messages on Jesus Christ from the Creed, and then a week after that, we'll move on to the other themes of the creed. So again, let's look at this next statement of the Apostles' Creed under consideration today. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I hope that those words sound familiar to you, not just because they're from the Apostles' Creed, but that you are familiar with these doctrinal truths that are taught in Scripture. 
And I hope especially today that they're familiar to you because the worship team did such an excellent job in bringing these truths to light for us. We were worshiping Jesus Christ and affirming those things to be true. We were saying we believe that he ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The statement brings our attention to some critical and, I have to say, much disregarded truth about our Lord Jesus. So with that statement from the creed reverberating in our minds, here's the big idea of the message today. I believe Jesus is exalted in glory and ministering there even now. You see that? Uh, Jesus is exalted in glory and ministering there even now. I, I sincerely believe that, and I hope that by the end of the service you'll be absolutely convinced of that if you're not already. Now, we just a few moments ago, we read out of Hebrews chapter 1. Now, we could do the whole sermon actually out of the book of Hebrews, by the way. Uh, we're not going to do that. Maybe another time. I would love to do a sermon series through Hebrews, but we won't start one today. Anyway, the verse we looked at, verse 3, is a very excellent summary, actually, of what we're talking about today in some respects. It says, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After making purification for sins, here's the thing I want you to look at. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As we're going to see, those words occur, frequent, occur frequently throughout the New Testament. And it's kind of easy to just kind of gloss over that phrase, isn't it? And you go, mm, okay, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. But today, I want you to understand these in a much deeper level and appreciate what it's saying. The passage of the scripture that we read at the beginning of the message today from the book of Luke, Acts, and here in Hebrews, clearly proclaim what we've said from the Apostles' Creed. I'm speaking of the ascension and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we make our way through the message today, we're going to make some important observations, uh, hinting back at these passages we've read. And also, uh, before we do that, though, I'd like to ask you to listen as I read to you a couple of other passages that set our examination of this uh, dynamic article of the creed this statement, I believe in Jesus Christ, that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It sets it in a particular context for us within Scripture. So if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write these verses down at the top of your notes along with the verses that are written there for you that we read a moment ago. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 and verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul does a very interesting thing. He quotes from a messianic psalm, Psalm 68, verse 18, he says to the Ephesians, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to, to people. Now we looked at that passage a little bit last week when we talked about the resurrection of Christ. But you see that he specifically is speaking of Christ's ascension and that something happened when Christ was ascended to glory. We're going to come back to those verses a little bit and look at them in their context a little more a little later. But here's another verse I'd like you to write down. Psalm 110, verse 1. It's the verse that Cameron used as the call to worship this morning. You need to notice that verse. You really should. As a good student of the Bible, you probably recognize that that verse is quoted in all of the synoptic gospels. Matthew, 
Mark, and Luke all refer back to Psalm 110, verse 1. And even if we were to go a little further in Hebrews chapter 1, we would find that the writer there in verse 13 also refers to Psalm 110.1. This is the declaration of the Lord, of Jehovah, to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's We don't have the time this morning to explain and exegete all of Psalm 110, but it is a prophetic messianic psalm about the priestly role of Messiah and the kingly role of Messiah. So important is this passage that the Apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he was preaching to the crowds who were watching them, referred back to Psalm 110 and showed that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of this passage. Psalm, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, 33. Peter is speaking, he says, Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Now, we're going to explain more about what Peter means here a little later in the message. That because Jesus Christ is exalted and sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he has poured out his Holy Spirit in a new way. And his exaltation allows that to occur. And he goes on to say, for it was not David who ascended into the heavens. He's saying that David wrote Psalm 110. And a lot of people try to ascribe a Psalm 110 to King David. Even the Jews at the time that Peter's quoting this, many of them were beginning to buy into that idea that maybe after all this isn't about the Messiah. Maybe it was a reference to David. But notice what he says. David himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord. Jehovah declared to my Lord. He's saying, God Jehovah declared to my Lord. So he's not talking about himself. Then he quotes, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter is saying, Jesus fulfilled that prophetic word. In Mark chapter 16, 19, we'll look at this verse a couple of times in the message today. So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. All of these passages, and many more, actually make reference to the ascension and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm just asking you right now to just kind of check out the file cabinet in your brain and look up the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and see what's stored in there. How much do you know and believe about this truth? Uh, The Scripture makes so much of this reality. It is incumbent upon us to understand the significance of this reality and its implications for us. So let's go through several observations that I would like to make and statements of belief related to the ascension and exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation provide for his ministry as our great high priest. I want you to think of something here. I'd like to explore this. I mentioned this to Sherry this morning when we were getting ready for church. I'd like to explore this idea more. I can just only mention it. I want you to think of something. We're told in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is a down payment. He's a guarantee of our eternal inheritance and all that we receive in Christ from God. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, God is saying, 
I'm going to make good on everything I ever have promised you. And to, to show that to you, to help, help you know that I mean that, I'm giving you the ministry and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to think of something else. Christ's physical body, his human body, was received back up into glory. And as such, it becomes a down payment and guarantee that the believers will also be welcomed into glory as those justified, redeemed, sanctified, and glorified in Christ Jesus. It is his acceptance and entrance into the highest place in glory that allows our Lord Jesus to fulfill his ministry to us as our great high priest. The scripture is very clear about this. Uh, this was prophesied, of course, even in the Old Testament. Let me go back to Psalm 110, verse 4 for a moment. The Lord, Jehovah, has sworn on oath, has sworn an oath, and will not take it back. Again, speaking of the Messiah, he says, you are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. Now, again, I'm frustrated because I would love to take a lot of time and explain more about what the ministry of Melchizedek is about and again, like I said, we could take you to the book of Hebrews and spend a lot of time in chapter 5, the end of chapter 6, and chapter 7, and really show you more about this. But the important principle is to, is to understand that Melchizedek served in several capacities in the Old Testament. One was as a prophet, one was as a priest, and was, one was as king. He fulfilled all of those offices. No other priest in the Old Testament ever fulfilled those capacities. But when Jesus came, he did. He fulfilled all of those offices. And his role as the great high priest is superior and better than any other priest ever. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 to 34. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are part of that great company of believers known as the elect. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is no one. No one. Why? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Another rhetorical question when it comes to God's people. Who can condemn them? No one. No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Through his work of intercession, even now, Jesus is defending believers against any accusation. If you are facing any accusation in your conscience as a believer, very important, you're a true believer in Christ, you know that Jesus is defending you before God's very presence. Even if your sin, your past sin comes up as a memory to, to haunt you and to try to condemn you, 
In Jesus Christ, it is not capable of doing that. Jesus, even now, is interceding for you. And if Satan himself was to stand before the courtroom of God in glory and say, look at Jonathan, what a sinful mess. Jesus steps up to the bar and says, Heavenly Father, my blood has covered Jonathan. He has trusted me for his salvation through my blood. And the Lord slams down his gavel and says, case dismissed. Through his work of intercession, even now Jesus perpetually and eternally guarantees our justification before God because his work on the cross garnered by his resurrection, ascension, and exaltation to God's glory is ever effective for you and for me. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But, but this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. That text reminds us that even now, Jesus Christ is seated in glory at God the Father's right hand, having completed and accomplished and finished the work of redemption and salvation by paying for our debt of sin once and for all. This finished work allows him to perpetually and eternally serve as our Redeemer and great High Priest. You never have to wonder if some millennia down the road, all of a sudden, Jesus, I just am so tired. Oh, I just can't do this sustaining work anymore. I just am so tired of justifying people. I can't redeem anybody. No. No. Right now. That is exactly what he is doing and he will do it for all eternity. 1 John 2, 1-2 My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, listen, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is why just a few verses before this, John encourages us, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as long as you come to God the Father through the Jesus door, he welcomes you there, and he says, I will be your advocate. I will be your counsel. I will be your great high priest. John's language and word picture here is that Jesus stands in heaven's courtroom before, the, before God the Father, who serves as arbiter and judge. And the Lord Jesus is our advocate. He's our attorney, as it were, pleading our case and applying his redemptive work on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful to know? Just think of it. 
Jesus is doing that for you right now if you have trusted him as your Savior and Lord. I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation provide for his ministry as our great high priest, but not only that, no, not only that, but also I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation initiate the unique ministries of the Holy Spirit. One of the upcoming messages in our summer series, Creed, you'd better believe it, is a message on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. And I'm sure that you will be encouraged and edified to hear what God's Word tells us about the Holy Spirit and what it means for us to believe in Him. I'm not going to name dates and uh, name, I'm not going to give names, dates, and places, but I was in a staff meeting at a church one time when one of the pastors of the church said, You know, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. I was like, What? You will find out in a couple of weeks. The Bible has a whole lot to say about the Holy Spirit. But today, I'd like to ask you to allow me to just pull back the curtain a little bit and remind you of one of the main reasons Jesus needed to ascend back to the Father and receive His exalted position at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The Holy Spirit has very specific ministries He performs, some some to the unbelieving world, and some to believers. And these were all, uh, these ministries of the Holy Spirit to unbelievers and believers were all initiated when our Lord Jesus returned to glory in majesty, splendor, power, and victory. I'll have Jesus explain what I mean. In John chapter 16, in fact, John chapters 14, 15, and 16, if you want to get ahead of the study in a few weeks on the Holy Spirit, read through those chapters several times. You're just going to be so encouraged by those passages. But again, uh, Jesus has been speaking about his return to the Father. And the disciples, as you can imagine, after spending these years with Jesus, are, are, are concerned. I mean, they love him, and they've, 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 they've learned so much, and they've grown so much. They have a lot more to learn, obviously, but it's been an amazing experience, an experience of a lifetime, and they don't like the idea of him leaving. But after speaking of his return to the Father, Jesus makes this important statement about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the unbelieving world. When he comes, that is when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world about sin righteousness, and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me, and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, you notice what Jesus is saying. He says, I've got to go back to the Father. And then the Holy Spirit is going to come, and at that time, he is going to be convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment in a way that he has not been doing it up until that time. This is the principal ministry of the Holy Spirit toward unbelievers. He convicts them over their sinful status before a just, righteous, and holy God. He contrasts their wicked righteousness against the standard of Christ's righteousness. He convicts them as the Lord Jesus' judicial representative that unbelievers are judged guilty before God. Now, how many of us like to have somebody come in our face and say, guilty, 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 guilty? We don't like that too much, do we? 
So maybe you can understand why the world hates Jesus and hates the Holy Spirit so much. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come when I leave, and that's what he's he's going to do for the world. But even more wonderfully and gloriously for the Christ followers, it was necessary was necessary for the Lord Jesus to return to the Father so the vast and rich ministry of the Holy Spirit to believers could be initiated. Again, allow the Lord Jesus himself to explain what I mean. Again, in John 16, verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. He says, Disciples, you can take this to the bank. Why? Because he himself is the truth. He says, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. And he could have said, and then I won't be able to be your great high priest in heaven, and a bunch of other things too. But for this point, I'm saying, he said, if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is clear. The present ministry of the Holy Spirit that you and I enjoy as faithful and obedient Christ followers would not and could not be possible and available to us unless Jesus returned to the Father and took his place beside, returned to glory and took his place beside uh, our Heavenly Father. Here's another verse for you again out of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. 33, we read it a moment ago, therefore since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Again, I don't have the time to go to a long explanation of what happened at the day of Pentecost, but if you want to read about it, you can do that in Acts chapter 2. In the immediate context, Peter is speaking about the apostolic supernatural credentials that the Holy Spirit gave to those men. The signs and wonders that God performed by the Holy Spirit through the apostles were given to validate their message about Jesus Christ. And again, this specific outpouring of the Holy Spirit was initiated at Christ's return and exaltation to glory. But in addition to that, turn over to Ephesians 4, verse 7, and then verses 11 to 13. Paul, again, writing to the Ephesian believers, says, What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So not only does the Holy Spirit bestow the believers with supernatural empowerment to serve And to minister to one another, as this passage in Ephesians teaches us, but the gifts and the ministries of the work of the Holy Holy Spirit include so much more. The work of regeneration, that is being born again. Your spirit being made alive to God 
is the work of the Holy Spirit. What is called the sealing minister, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that you are truly once and for all assuredly placed within the body of Christ. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. What is called the filling ministry of the Holy Spirit is you yield to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit will gain more and more and more control of your mind, of your spirit, your words, and your actions. Uh, There's the intercession ministry of the Holy Spirit that we read about in the book of Romans where sometimes, I know most of you have had this experience, you ever get into a situation where you don't even have words to say to God to bring your petition. You run out of words. You don't even have an ability to communicate to Him. We're told that those groanings of our spirit, the Holy Spirit takes them and interprets them to God the Father and to the Lord Jesus who happens to be sitting at the right hand of God the Father as your intercessor. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to comfort us. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit is what we call illumination, where He takes the truth of the Word of God and helps us to understand it, to understand the meaning of it, and then to go, this is what I've got to do about it. The righteous character character development of the believers referred to in Galatians as the fruit of the Spirit. This is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We could talk about many other things. You can understand why I was frustrated when that one fellow said, well, the Bible doesn't say a lot about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it, it, it does. I don't know if we consider this profound reality of Christ's exaltation in us. Our Lord Jesus currently, at this very moment, reigns for us at the right hand of God the Father. In doing so, our Lord Jesus continues to pour out His Holy Spirit on believers. He does this so that through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, like I said, as we'll see in a couple weeks, He might, He, Christ, might be effective in and through us. The Lord Jesus extends His influence and impact through and by the work of the Holy Spirit in Christians. It is a work of the Holy Spirit to make us members together with and in Christ, as I just mentioned. Christ advances His kingdom in us and through us by the Holy Spirit until that day when He unites us with us in that great, great day of His glorious appearing. And at that day, He will perfect and complete His redemptive salvation plan in us, fulfilling the ultimate work of regeneration. In that day, we will be fully cleansed of all our sin and corruption, set apart for eternity to God, for His glory, His purpose and plan. I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation initiate the unique ministries of the Holy Spirit. That leads me to our next point of consideration today. I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation guarantee Guarantee our eternal destiny. We're going to have more to say about our eternal destiny in the very final message of this series at the end of the month of August. However, let me just encourage you with this marvelous consequence of the ascension and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ even now. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. I hope you know these verses. They're so encouraging. Jesus again is speaking. To his disciples, he says, 
Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. So that where I am, you may be also. Even now, even now, the Lord Jesus has gone into glory and is preparing our eternal home. The book of Revelation describes the eternal New Jerusalem, the city that will come down from God in the future. Jesus has had more than 2,000 years to work on that place. It, he did creation in seven days, speaking. Imagine. And that dwelling place is with him. This should cause us to lift our our thoughts and our affections well above this sorry old earth and its sin-ridden existence. Christ's exaltation to glory should alleviate all our fears and anxieties. When we set our hearts and minds above where Christ is seated, like Paul said to the Colossians, we should be filled with hope and joy beyond anything this world could ever wish to offer us. John 17, 24. Another wonderful passage you should well acquaint yourself with, John chapter 17. Most theologians, commentators, and preachers refer to it as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Again, we don't have time to look at the whole passage. I just want you to hear one verse, just one thing Jesus prayed, John 17, 24. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Jesus wants us to be with him. Jesus wants me to be with him. This is to his Father's glory and certainly to our benefit. Imagine seeing and experiencing the immeasurable love God the Father has for his Son our Lord Jesus Christ, in person, face to face with all the members of the Godhead present. Jesus wants us to be with him so we can experience the eternal love of our blessed Heavenly Father and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wants us to be with him so we can behold and experience the full weight of their eternal 
and majestic glory, something we cannot tolerate and bear in our present unglorified state. Jesus' ascension and exaltation guarantee our eternal destiny. I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait to share more with you about this at the end of this series, in the very last message of this series. Here's what I'm talking about. Here's just a little preview for you. Again, the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, the end of verse 5. Verse 7, he says, you are saved by grace. We've talked about that so many times. You are saved by grace. God doing for you and for me what we desperately need but cannot do for ourselves. That's grace. You are saved by grace. He also, listen, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us. Christ Jesus. Did you see and hear what Paul is saying? Even now, even now since we are joined with Christ, since we are in Christ through faith in Him, we are positionally justified and as good as being seated right alongside our exalted Christ right now. His exaltation to the right hand of God the Father Almighty guarantees it, Paul's telling us. And not only that, but in the coming ages, he says, it means for all eternity. What wonders and blessings and privileges and honor await the faithful and obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, all to be returned to give God glory. I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation guarantee our eternal destiny. Here's another principle to think about related to the ascension and exaltation of Christ. I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation empower us for holy living. Here's one of the great and practical principles for us to grasp concerning the exaltation, the ascension, and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus our Lord Jesus is sitting enthroned in the highest place. And as I mentioned, from there, He pours out His power into our lives through the ministry of the Word and through His Holy Spirit. He draws our attention and our affection away from the earthly and carnal things of our present existence. And He enlivens us. He animates us and lifts us up to a higher plane where he rules and reigns. The Apostle Paul tried to convey this truth to the believers in Philippi and to us when he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Let me read several as uh, aspects, several excerpts from this paragraph in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. 
Paul says, not that I have already reached the goal or I am already perfect. He's saying, I know I've not reached spiritual maturity in its absolute sense. I know I haven't achieved all of uh, the inheritance and glory that Christ has for me because I'm still here. He says, but, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider my soul to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He goes on there to say, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in glory, and He's going to come back, and the fact that He's there now, that should motivate us to live a holy life. The word citizenship is an interesting word. It's hard to bring into English in one word. But it speaks, yes, of our association with heaven in the realms of glory and not earth, you know, this terrestrial place. But it also speaks of the manner of life and conduct that is becoming of those understanding and living up to their citizenship. This was a common term in the Roman Empire. When they were referred to as citizen, it didn't mean that they only belonged to the Roman Empire. It didn't mean that. But it means live up to it, citizen. Live up to the honor and the glory of the empire. And Paul takes that and turns it on its head and says, you can live up to a much higher call of citizenship. Paul's point is when we recognize our relationship to Christ and the place where he is currently seated, we are empowered and motivated to live the holy life that he has called us to live. Do you struggle with sin? Do you struggle with sin? Is it difficult for you to consistently pursue a holy life? Then I'd like to ask you to get out your passport and check your citizenship. If it says, citizenship, heavenly, where Christ is seated, then act like it. That's what Paul is saying. Live in a way that is becoming to those who belong to the heavenly kingdom and its Christ. I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation empower us for holy living. I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation call all believers to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat that to make sure you all heard it. I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation call all believers, not just the pastors, not just the missionaries. Yeah, they're the, that's their job, right? That's their job. No, it is our job. It's your job too. His ascension and exaltation call all believers to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. So even now, again, as Lord Jesus at the right hand of God the Father, he is not ah, in repose. He's not relaxing, he's not taking it easy. And in his present posture of being seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, 
He calls us. He calls us to be witnesses to him and the hope he holds out to this sin-sick world found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, contain what we refer to as the great commandment. These verses I'm going to read, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, are after Jesus' resurrection and just before his ascension. This is what he said. It says here in the text, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority had been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is an interesting verse to think about. In his absence, the Lord Jesus gives this commandment to his, his disciples. As I mentioned, we call it the great commandment. Excuse me, the great <laughs> the Great Commission. This is our charge while Jesus is enthroned in glory and we await his return in majesty, power, and glory. In the authority of the risen, ascended, and exalted Christ, we are to go, we are to make disciples, we are to baptize them in the name of the, each member of the Trinity, and we are to teach them all that Jesus has commanded. And through the great mystery of his marvelous person work, even though he is in glory now, he is ever present with us in the task of being witnesses for and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that is principally through the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. Then over in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it's the actual moment. Just before Jesus ascends out of the disciples' sight into glory. At the Lord Jesus' ascension, he said to the disciples, it is not for you to know times or periods, we read this a little while ago, that the Father has set by his own authority, but you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We've already talked about how the ascension and exaltation of Jesus Christ initiated the unique ministries of the Holy Spirit. But one of those ministries of the Holy Spirit is empowering Christ followers to be witnesses to the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit provides genuine Christians with supernatural power to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ without any geographical restriction. In the ascension and exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are called and empowered to be his witnesses. This, could, this should give us great confidence and boldness to share the gospel. I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation call all believers to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally this morning, I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation assure us of his eternal rule and reign over all things. 
Again, I'm so grateful for the worship team leading us and bringing this truth to light in worship this morning as we worship Jesus. There's a remarkable and stunning exchange between our Lord Jesus and the high priest during one of the three illegal Jewish trials our Savior endured before he was handed over to the Roman authorities. And one of the few times he actually spoke during those unjust, unauthorized kangaroo court sessions that Jesus endured, Christ confessed under oath to the high priest both that he was the Son of God and that his enemies would see him sitting at the right hand of God. Listen to Matthew's account of that dramatic confrontation. Matthew 26, the high priest said to him, to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What a remarkable thing to claim for oneself. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And in that statement, he claimed fulfillment of Psalm 110 and Daniel chapter 7 as fulfilled in him. That was such an offense to the false religious Jewish leaders that they called out Jesus for blasphemy to their shame and eternal damnation. Imagine. Imagine. When our Lord Jesus walked to this earth in humility and humiliation, the sea was calmed by him with merely a word. Be still. Imagine. Imagine when our Lord Jesus walked this earth before our Lord Jesus was exalted to the highest place. He commanded the forces of hell to be silent and flee And they did just that, acknowledging his sonship and authority. Imagine, even after setting his royal robes aside, our Savior brought healing to countless individuals suffering from sickness and disease with merely a word or a simple touch, and sometimes not even that. So imagine, so imagine as the Lord Jesus Christ now reigns in great glory, when he exercises his will, power, and authority with not even a nod, and without restraint, just imagine the impact and influence all humanity and all creation will experience as he exercises his absolute rule, and reign. That will be a terrible and glorious thing to behold. 
Yes, even now, Jesus' rule and reign are presently and eternally at work. Again, Mark 16, 19. So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. That phrase, sat down at the right hand of God. We've heard that over and over this morning, haven't we, from God's Word? It tells us something very important. It is a frequent term in the New Testament. It tells us that as Creator sin-bearer and high priest, Jesus possesses all power and authority. His posture, as I said, is not one of rest or repose. His posture speaks to the finality of his accomplishments and the exercise and outworking of his power and authority without dispute. As the Son, the Lord Jesus occupies this place by the act and will of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ is active as your mediator, as your high priest, as your intercessor, as your king, and yes, even as your judge. He, and he alone, is Lord of all. Acts chapter 3, we come to another one of the apostles' speeches as they are in Solomon's colonnade at the temple in Jerusalem. Great crowd is gathered. Peter is again preaching. He says, starting in verse 17, and now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, that is, in allowing Jesus to be condemned to death, just as your leaders also did. Kind of an incorrect, politically incorrect thing to say, but there it is. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that the seasons of, re that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. And there in those, ver those verses, Paul stresses the very point I'm making right here. Jesus' ascension and exaltation assure us of his eternal rule and reign over all things now and forever. One other set of verses, again, back in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. Apostle Paul is writing, he's, it says here that God exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he submitted everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Jesus is supreme and preeminent over all, every person, every position, every circumstance. All of it is under his absolute power and authority. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. To the praise and glory of God the Father. 
I believe Jesus' ascension and exaltation assures of his eternal rule and reign over all things. Again, the big idea of the message today. I believe Jesus is exalted in glory and ministering there even now. Someone has said, Jesus Christ, the condescension of divinity and the exaltation of humanity. That's an excellent and succinct summary of what we've been learning today. I must ask once again, do you believe all this? No, I don't mean just agree with the theological stuff doctrinal statements of the creed. I certainly hope you do that. I hope you do, but I trust that your belief goes much further than that. If you put your faith in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, I must ask you that. Are you living in the light of these tremendous truths and these remarkable realities? Maybe much of this is new to you. Don't just leave it there. Do you know with great confidence that the Lord Jesus is acting on your behalf right now in glory as your bridge between you and God, that he is your active great high priest? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Are you experiencing the present work of the Holy Spirit promised to us as believers Are you just experiencing the convicting work that he does? If that's where it stops, we need to talk. Do you have confidence and hope in your eternal destiny? Or is that a mystery to you? It doesn't need to be. Are you enjoying the progressive work of sanctification in your life and being freed from the power and control of sin? And are you living in a characteristic quality of practicing a life of holiness? Are you confidently and boldly sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who have not yet heard? Or or do you retreat from opportunities to proclaim Him as King and Lord over all? Do you reject fear for faith? Do you reject the chaos all around us for courage? Do you reject panic for peace, knowing that Jesus eternally rules and reigns over everything? You do. If you truly believe that our Lord Jesus Christ has returned to God the Father in power, glory, majesty, and victory. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. You'd better believe it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that each and every one of us will understand why our apostolic and patristic fathers tried to concisely bring these truths 
to mind through the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. Dear Father, today we're contemplating something that probably most of us don't dwell on much. But I pray that Scripture would have its impact in us today and would cause us to think of these wonderful and profound and glorious truths even more and more and more. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for demonstrating our Heavenly Father's great love so that you could come, take our guilt away by placing all of our sin debt on yourself and offering to us who believe in you by faith to receive your just and righteous standing before God. Thank you that you will eternally and perpetually serve as our great high priest and you pour out the ministries of the Holy Spirit upon us that you desire to make us great witnesses for you and to live a holy life and to remember our destiny and never forget, never forget, you are King of kings, Lord of lords over it all. Help us to live like it. In your name I pray, In Jesus' name, amen. Stand.
believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the ask you to be seated and ask the men to come forward as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. You see right across the front of the communion table here, it says, this do in remembrance of me. These are the Lord Jesus' words to us. As we participate in the Lord's Supper, all of these uh, truths that Uh, we have been reminding ourselves about during these last several messages in this series are drawing to memory, hopefully, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so today, think of the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the exaltation of Christ and all that that means for us. Apostle Paul wrote these words that are very familiar to us now in 1 Corinthians 11. This is God's word. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal each one eats his own supper. Remember in the first century, church would share together a large meal together, fellowship meal. You're saying, you're saying you're celebrating the Lord's Supper, but you're not. You're saying it's it's my supper. That's what Paul is saying. So when you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal each one eats his own supper, so one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it and in remember do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This celebration should remind us of the full scope and sequence of the person of Jesus Christ, all that he worked out through his own life, his life, his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation and glory and remembering he's coming back. I'm going to ask Pastor David to pray for the bread. Father God, it's an awesome thought. Take that our precious Savior and Lord as well bodily. The one who spoke creation into existence, the one who holds all things together would come here to die for our sins. Lord, we remember how he was treated. He was despised. He was beaten. The picture of the crown of thorns, Lord, reminds us the pain, the anguish that he suffered for our sins. Brutally beaten. And then hung on a cross. Nailed on a cross. Lord, it's hard for us to Imagine the pain that his body took on for our sins. It's amazing, again, amazing thought of your love so much for us that you came dwelt among us, suffered, and died. And so, Lord, as we partake of the bread, we remember. We remember what you've done for us at Calvary and taken our place. Thank you for making that payment for us. Thank you for suffering for us. Lord, may we always remember the price that you paid to redeem us. Lord, now we remember in taking this bread. Amen.
Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Remember me, take it, and eat it. I'm going to ask our deacon, Tom Carpenter, to lead us in prayer for the cup, please. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, you have asked us to take this time to remember, to remember how Jesus' blood was shed, the sacrifice that was made for each one of us here that we might look forward to eternal life with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tom. tell us that without the shedding of Jesus' blood, there can be no forgiveness for our sin. Jesus told us, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
And he instructs us to drink it and to remember him. Take it and drink it. It's our custom as a church family that whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that we uh, take a benevolent offering, and this offering goes to meet the real and practical material needs of people within our church fellowship and occasionally even people in our community from time to time. So we're asking you to come prepared and be generous in giving today as uh, we take the benevolent offering. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, would you take these monies now as we give them first that they would be honoring and glorifying to you that they would be a genuine expression of our love for you and one another and our community and would you use them beyond what any one of us could do and use them as a blessing in our church family for those who have needs and also those in our community as opportunities arise to minister in that way I pray Lord Jesus in your name, Amen Skip. Three. 
So as you go today, remember Jesus. Believe in Jesus. The Son, Hebrews 1, 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Walk with the King. Be a blessing.